Nothing funny was really said, so I guess it's fine. But well, I am now. But oh, there you go. Here's your funny Wait, is, start. Is Mark included in this one? Yes. I thought we already agreed on this. So I'm in, I'm introducing Mark. Uh-huh. Is he is he special guest or is he is he joining? I I figured he was just joining. I'm down to join if that's up to you guys. Yo, Nick, he's recording. Oh, yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're waiting for Cody. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to the first turn, a Yu-Gi-Oh! podcast where for four grown men talk about our favorite children's card game, Yu-Gi-Oh! I'm your host, yep. Nick. With me today are Jordan. Yeah, now we got to update all our stuff, don't we? Yeah. Ah, fun times. Anyway, carry on. I'm here. Also with me is Cody. Possibly. And the newest addition to our group, Mark. Yo, what's up, guys? I felt so unhyped, I'm not going to lie. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I'm back. Boys. For for those of you that don't know, uh, Mark is a very good friend of ours. Uh, took a bit of a hiatus from the game for a little while, and, but he's back playing again. Uh, Mark, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Um, what can I tell them about myself? Uh, I used to play back in the day, I'll, maybe like 2008. 2009 but it wasn't until i joined i guess you guys cody jordan and nick and i think my breakout year was the 2013 year when i played spell books and uh, that's when i started like really playing competitive and i started to um just top and just get better at the game get better knowledge wise and uh yeah ever since i've been playing competitive i did take a a two-year um hiatus from the game just life happens you know but uh yeah i'm back in the game now and uh trying to get my uh money status back (laughs) (laughs) like is that really gonna take long for you though uh not really I didn't think so. Uh, um, what's it called? Uh, Cody would just sell me cards. Yo, I'm trying. <laughs> Last time we talked was like three days ago, and the card you're going to buy off me went up like 40 bucks since then. So, like, we're going to have to fucking <laughs> get a move on. I know. I mean, you still have that Stein from my wedding, don't you? God. Which one? The pay to win Stein. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to live up to that, man. I know. Well, I'm trying. There's a there's a lot of cards that uh, I need to get, and uh, it's not like the game back before when I could get cards very not cheap, but half their value, and then they go up. I feel like every card now comes out not very expensive. Yeah. And you got to start getting them starlights too, so that's gonna be fun. Yeah, um, building, 
<laughs> there's there's like it's there's like a funny trend where like it's I come back into the game and I have like max rarity everything already. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's like, just expected. They get like yeah. more cards that are like, how did you get these? You back in the game like two, a week ago. Yeah. Don't worry about it. For uh, those listeners that don't know Mark already, when back when he was playing the game like before his hiatus. He had easily one of the most ridiculous collections in Winnipeg. I'm pretty sure you still have like a page of multi dark arm dragons and secret dark arm dragons. I was gonna say like even after the two year hiatus, he still got the best collection in the community by far. He had a collection that was worth more than mine today before the big surge of people just dropping their fucking stimulus checks on TCG products. So yeah. he, he had collections, you know, we're talking, you know, 30, 40 grand probably. And that was before the boom. This is years back. Yeah. So like him coming back in, like you look at his binder, he's got like Can he the, just the, buy the, a house? the ulti dark arms is obvious, probably. but like there's a lot of obscure stuff too. Like if you look, he's got absolute max rarity, uh, Gravekeepers, right? That's just a pet deck for him. But the mm-hmm. thing is, when you're talking about those weird old offsets like Dark Beginnings and, you know, Retro Pack and stuff, and when you've got cards from those sets, and you've got the old Ulti Necro Valleys and stuff, like an old pet deck that probably would have cost him a couple hundred because it was max rarity, we're talking mm-hmm. about, you know, like a couple grand now. It's the same thing with my yeah. Cyber Dragons. Like, my Cyber Dragon deck went from being, you know, a thousand bucks maybe to we're talking about probably close to five mm-hmm. that's just and mark just you know had did his own thing you know got life settled he's you know where he needs to be and his collection literally quadrupled overnight <laughs> since he was not in the game yeah. during that boom so yeah like when i took my hiatus i didn't really my car just uh basically just sat in a box in my closet and then there'd be times when i would look at the Yu-Gi-Oh pricing or tcg player and i'd be like wow this card went up mm-hmm. then i'd message cody i'd be like hey cody this card went up like and he's like yeah your whole collection went up man <laughs> yep. i'm like i but yeah, my collection's still pretty good. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Imagine. I feel like my cube just went up way much more. I don't even want to know, man. Oh, oh, for sure. Like, guaranteed that thing's at least du- at least doubled. Mm-hmm. Nothing's left there. Nothing's. I the thing is like right now, um, I'm trying to like just get cards for it, and it's like. All these cards are like crazy, like Forbidden Droplets and uh, uh, Tactics. Mm-hmm. Just trying to get all these uh, Lightning Storms. And it's not like I'm, I just want to get one for the cube. I want to get a playset for myself too, so I can yeah. play it. So you got to get like four of each. Uh, I, I I went that route before, and it's, uh, it's, it's kind of hard to find four. Well, it's not <laughs> kind of hard to find four, but it's like... Having four, then you then you look at your binder and you're just like, uh, I wanted to go that route because when you go look at my binder, it's like, oh, why do you only have two of a card? And I'm like, oh, it's the other one's in my cube. 
And then you're just like, oh, I want to play three. But then you have to take the card out of your cube and you're like, ah, too much of a hassle. <laughs> All right. So uh, mm. with, with the introduction out of the way, uh, we can get along with our topic for the day. Uh, like we said last episode, today we're going to be talking about playtesting. Uh, we're going to go over the importance of it, um, kind of how to play test, the different ways you can play test, and really some like do's and don'ts of playtesting with your group or even by yourself. Do any of you guys want to tackle the importance of playtesting? Uh, I have a personal experience from yesterday. I was uh, playtesting against Brett last night, late into the night. And I found out very quickly that if I don't do my plays in a certain way, my deck just got outright destroyed by Nibiru. However, I learned the slight combo variations that let me play around it, and that helped a lot. So without the playtesting, I wouldn't have known how much of a hindrance that would have been to me, so... Oh, uh, something small of note. Jordan finally has actual good internet. Hey, yeah, let's let's bring that up. So, okay, uh, so he can play test now. I I finally got my Starlink hooked up on Thursday, Thursday morning, and I kid you not, my speeds went from being like if I did a speed test, I was maybe hitting six megabytes per second. Now, like realistically speaking, I was hitting like two hundred kilobytes a second, but after hooking it up, my speed test went up to like 110 megabytes a second. And it's just been beautiful. Like, oh my goodness. I was able to play test last night while my wife was able to stream Amazon Prime. And we had maybe, I only like maybe froze up once or twice, but even then, it was pretty good. I feel like we're all very happy for you now. I'm, I'm just... I'm elated, man. I'm so happy that I can finally, you know, play test online with everybody and like actually enter these events and operate like a normal human. Yeah, exactly. Finally got out of the early 90s. Yeah. I wouldn't go that far, but like, <laughs> I'm getting there. That's, what's, that, that's what matters. I'm getting there, right? Moving forward. We're moving forward. Yeah, so like Jordan was saying, he got to play test with Brett last night, um, learned some combos, um, found some weaknesses to his deck, and I think that kind of highlights the big importance of playtesting. Uh, what playtesting does is it gives you a chance in a non-tournament environment to basically learn your deck. You're gonna learn your com- uh, you get to learn your combos, find weaknesses, uh, test your consistency, and during this playtesting is the moment when you're going to be wanting to streamline like streamline your deck fully and overall improve your knowledge of the deck or your knowledge of matchups with other decks. I think uh, a big point of emphasis for playtesting in general because the thing that Jordan just talked about is you can kind of get to that pretty easily if you just you know think about your deck critically like you can see choke points you can play through your own solitaire hands and that's all pretty autopilot stuff the thing that playtesting 
against an actual opponent, not doing just theoretical solitaring out hands, you know, playing out situations through choke points, you know, against theoretical hand trap disruption and whatnot. The thing that you do is you learn to do like two things. You learn to do, this is going to sound kind of like counterproductive, but like you learn to do like the wrong thing in certain situations because when you're playing through, you know, unknown background stuff, then you can account for a million different variables and you can kind of have a good idea when you're playing against, you know, some trap decks, like what their traps are going to be. But like you learn that your deck's typical solitaire combos have to be very fluid and a lot of different things you need to do when you're playing into just unknown variables. And you need to kind of like, you know, you need to just pull something out of your ass on the fly and just come up with something cute. So what you do is you kind of play incorrectly and then you see through, you know, trial and error. And also the more important thing is, especially if you're playing something unorthodox like if you're playing a cookie cutter list and everyone knows the combos then you don't have much of an advantage but if you're playing something rogue or like tier two or worse you kind of play in a way to make your opponent make the biggest misplay because when you're doing your own solitaires and, and theory you know the absolute optimal time anything is good for you and bad against you and good against you rather your opponent won't so when you're testing you kind of get to play into your opponent making the wrong reads and that's where you can catch people and that's how you can win games and people don't really acknowledge that or understand like how important that is when you're just doing a theory crafted list yeah like when you're kind of solitaring which is something we're gonna touch on in a bit um like you basically go through all these perfect world situations in your head where in a perfect world it's like oh i can do this full combo i know how to do it or if you're trying to see what you can do when you get interrupted by yourself you go okay well he'll ash me here because that's in your mind obviously the most impactful place to do it so like what can i do from that point but the thing is you can't control what the other like what your opponent is gonna do outside of like mind gaming the shit out of them but, again, like, you can't really control what they're going to do. So people are going to do weird things, like they'll ash a card that you weren't expecting, stuff like that. So getting to actually play test against somebody else and encountering these, like, weird niche situations, like, oh, I didn't realize that somebody could ash me there. Um, it helps out a lot, especially when you can do that in a environment where you're not being punished for it by losing a round and possibly getting knocked out of a tournament a good uh segue from that though is obviously in a tournament you can't take back your moves uh if you're playing a real casual locals or casual setting against a friend you know you can let them take back shit i tend to do that when i'm playing against people i'm pretty lax but uh when i'm testing uh I usually catch people off guard, especially when I'm testing with somebody new for the first time. I won't let them take back moves, even if the night before in a locals, I did. And they usually get kind of caught off guard until I really emphasize how important it is for you to kind of learn the hard way during testing. You know, in a, when you're in a high stakes 
situation and you're making just a minor, you know, mistake, I'll let that shit slide. But when you're testing and you accidentally search the wrong target, I almost will never let you take it back just because in those situations where you get punished for making just the most minor mistake, that's what will get, you know, cemented into your memory that that was the wrong thing to do. Instead of it just being an afterthought where you're like, oh, I searched the wrong thing. I'm just going to swap it real quick. Don't do that in testing because in testing, when you make those errors, you need them to have significance because again, in testing, it's not as serious and it's not as important. Like that's really easy. Like the best way to learn from your mistakes is to keep pushing through it. Because like, let's say in a big tournament, you like you make that small mistake, you can't take it back. You get into a point where like you might not know what to do. So if anything, in testing, like those mistakes, like Cody said, you want you don't want to be able to take them back just so you can learn what to do once you do them, or if you do them. I'm blanking right now. I don't know why. <laughs> like no, something. I'm like to... oh, good. What? I was just gonna say, like, yeah, something like, um, to relay about what Nick and Cody said. It's just like when you play out your hands solitary. Going back to the solitaire thing, like, yo, you can do this. Oh, I made like this perfect board and stuff like that. But when you're playing against someone real, like I, I realized this playing Cody the other day, is like I'm playing my Dark Magician deck and. I'm like, oh, I make like Verte, um, make Dragoons and all that stuff. But then there's this one time when I was just like, what if he has Nibiru? And I was like, I was contemplating making my my fifth and sixth summon. But then I stopped and just, I'm um, fourth. And then after that, I pass. And then Cody's like, you know, if you summon Verte, I just win the game. Because he had Nibiru. And it's like, those are the times when you really like have to think because if you're just solitary, you just gonna go through your play all the time. Oh, he's not gonna stop me. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, Nibiru. You're like, oh, I didn't realize you played Nibiru. It's like, well, you gotta you gotta really think. Sometimes uh, your opponents play random cards that you would never have thought they would, and you always have to take those factors in. Well, I mean, like to a degree, right? There's gonna be yeah cards that you should expect like nibiru is one of those cards you should expect um especially now with how popular a lot of these combo decks are getting um i kind of fell into the same situation that you did like you said there where i've been solitaring a lot of my hands lately and obviously like the solitaire boards i've been trying to like think about like what happens if i get hit here stuff like that right but after a while, I know a bad habit for me, and I know this can happen, I'm sure this happens to a lot of other people, is you get into this bad habit of not fully thinking about the actual critical choke points that your deck has for certain plays, right? And how your deck can kind of segue into a different combo line to kind of avoid those plays or to either play through them, right? And a big one for me when I was playing out my hands was I wasn't really fully taking the Nibiru into consideration. I was always just like, um, oh, like this, this, this line of play produces the strongest board I can make and stuff like that. Um, not realizing that at like summon four or five, like my fifth summon, if I were to get Nibiru at that point, my combo just ended. I would not have a board and I'd have to pass my turn. Like it was actually just that 
detrimental and I was trying to think okay well like after actually playing through it like testing and getting hit by those Nibiru's and being like oh wow oh crap like what do I do um it really made me think of okay what should my lines of play be and how can I actually make certain things happen so I can avoid it right so there was a lot of thinking about how can I make Appaloosa my fourth or fifth summon and it changes the combo lines a lot. You don't end up with as strong of words as you'd hope, like what the original combos kind of entail. Like if you look up some of the bird up combos online, you'll see a lot of people showing off like these really uh, high power two card combos that produce like three interrupts and the storm winds on board. And yeah, they're really strong, but there are very critical key points that if you Nibiru them, they kind of can't really do much. Um, but if you just like dumb down the combos a little bit, make Appaloosa your fourth or fifth summon, and it's really easy because it's one fractal and it happens. But you end up with these boards that aren't as strong, but still get the job done. If that makes sense. So, and I think that's what a lot of people need to kind of take into account is you're not always going to end up with the perfect world boards that you hope for. Sometimes you gotta see the lines of play a little differently so that you actually still end up on a board. Yeah, so with Jordan kind of realizing or getting to play test now, that kind of leads me into the next part of the discussion, which is the there's kind of like different ways of playtesting. Um, you have your playtesting alone, which is just mostly like the solitary and all that stuff. Uh, you got playtesting with simulators such as Duel Link Book, uh, YGO Pro, that kind of, or yeah, YGO Pro. And then obviously testing with groups of friends or other players in your area. YGO Pro is each... a huge issue for testing. We'll get into that it later. Is, especially in oh, yeah. North America. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, like all three of these have their advantages and disadvantages. Um, we should probably go over the playtesting alone first, just because Jordan's obviously had the most experience with it, and it's something we all kind of do. Uh, the advantage with playtesting by yourself like solitaring your deck, learning your combos, getting an idea of consistency. This is usually kind of always going to be your base ground whenever you're making a new deck. Uh, just giving you a chance to get your first build out of the way. Uh, just like play through your lines of... Play through your different like combo lines, stuff like that. Uh, do you guys have any other advantages for like kind of testing by yourself um one of the main things is uh go google what a hyper geometric calculator is and learn how to use one uh one thing i like to do when i'm solitaring obviously i'm probably taking it to a degree higher than the average player but uh when i'm working out ratios of some things i will uh input the new ratios for you know say i have uh 
seven copies of X effect I want. You know, obviously more than two playsets, but like if it's a redundant effect, I just want to have seven copies of, and I'm playing a 41 card deck. I, you know, I jot those into the calculator to tell me exactly mathematical odds for the chances of certain things happening when I go first when I go second, the odds of me drawing multiples, you know, all that can be done in a calculator, and hypergeometric math is a convoluted bitch that mathematicians hate for a reason, so they will use a calculator too, because it's just easier that way. Uh, you can apply the same, you know, formulas to Yu-Gi-Oh! It's the same theory. Uh, that's a really important thing, understanding why. Uh, also, when you are net decking, for example, and you're looking at current trends because there's nothing wrong with net decking first of all as long as you kind of understand why they came to their conclusion instead of just taking their conclusion uh i like to look at whatever successful list topped the most recent event and then try to get an understanding for why they came to that conclusion but quite often the people who are topping these events are still playing you know with a randomly generated hand out of their 40 plus card stack and aren't the most well educated in why they should be doing things despite their success, right? That's called be results oriented thinking that just because something won means it was the best. Not always true, obviously more likely to be so, but not always true. So when, some, when you read a deck list and somebody says, oh, I play five normal summons because that's the optimal amount. Like, that's not necessarily true. Uh, there's reasons why you would want to have five normal summons alongside X amount of other things that, you know, are a pseudo-normal summon or whatever. Point being is understanding why and understanding odds is a huge aspect to just being as consistent as possible over, you know, however many round tournament. And I'm kind of getting to this weird gray area with my current deck list where I wanted six of the same effect. So I'm playing, again, six instances of this effect. But because I just could not rationalize cutting anything out of my current list, I'm playing 43 cards, which is like kind of giving me a headache right now. Because <laughs> if you min-max to the degree I do, you can always objectively bring your card, your cards down to 40. Now, I am kind of in this weird spot where I don't know if I want to start just playing two ofs to bring it down to 40. Because if you, again, jot your info into like a hypergeometric calculator, you will start seeing that the differences between 40 and 43 is negligible. But it's still there. So, it's just, it's, it's fun little exercise. It's not you don't have to be a math geek to really understand the stuff. Just go Google it. There's very obvious, you know, hand-holding ways to jot your info in and understand it. Um, and yeah, just make sure you understand why successful deck lists are doing something as opposed to, hey, they're playing, you know, 3 Diva, 3 Neptibus, 3, 3, 3, 3. Like, obviously you want to play your best cards, but like why are they playing two infantry and like why would you play two infantry as opposed to three and one and then actually like you know apply some thought into it instead of just saying oh they were right because they top aided um one thing i do want to point out for those who want a shortcut 
for the hypogeometric math, uh, look up a guy called Yishan on YouTube, and I've once before. He did an entire video on the hypogeometric math in Yu-Gi-Oh, and he actually created an entire like PDF document that shows the percentages of drawing X amount of cards in like a forty-card deck all the way up to a sixty-card deck. Like the document is like three hundred and some odd pages long, but that is not a has... shortcut. <laughs> he has a shortcut. Sure no, he has a shortcut labeled for it. So like. If you open up the document, he even has a, like a legend on the top saying, "If you want to look for a specific, um, not like a specific calculation, uh, type it in, like do Control F and type it in like this. This is how you want to search it, and then it'll pop up. It'll go to that one. So, and it'll show not only the, um, like the chances of like drawing the card." It'll also show the chances of drawing a two of it, a three of it, and stuff like that as well. So, it's all there. Now, see, now we have the issues of playtesting alone. Um, it's kind of like we discussed earlier. The biggest issue with solitary is you kind of, you're basically just playing yourself the entire time. Um, so, like, you're Memorizing your combo, you know how to do it absolutely perfectly. You might even try to include, like, oh, what if I get hand-trapped at this optimal point? How do I play out of it? Like, you're doing these lines of plays, but, like, you're losing out on the kind of random aspect of having an opponent where you don't know what they're going to do. Uh, so at this point, all you're really doing is a lot of theory where... In theory, this is going to work. In theory, I can do this with, like, in a perfect world, all this kind of stuff. Um, I know, Jordan, that's been kind of, like, your thing the past couple of months with your testing. Like, since you obviously can't, couldn't test against other people, like, a lot of your deck building and, like, playtesting was kind of solitary, so you didn't really get that... Um, like variable of having another person play against you no and, not and it's kind of like you said was playing like random rogue decks too which kind of you need that mm -hmm. play test as well not just the solitaire but... yeah yeah and it's it's like you said like you finally got to play decks against brett so you're not playing decks against a person you're noticing these things like how much more powerful nibiru was against your deck than you expected Yep. And now having to learn like newer lines of plays that might not be as powerful as a perfectly executed bird up combo, but can still get you there without losing to Nibiru. Yeah, sorry, Curtis messaged me. He's fun. <laughs> but um, yeah, so like, yeah, playtesting alone. Uh, yeah, playtesting alone. It's almost always going to be your base and it's by no means a bad basis for your playtesting. Like I said, it's this is going to be your point where you're making your first draft of your deck, uh, you're getting used to the combos, and you're basically setting yourself up so that once you start playtesting against actual people, you have a good base of knowledge for how to play your deck. And once you start playing against people, this is when you're going to be getting to add the like 
layers and layers of knowing how to play your deck against other things mm -hmm. as opposed to just kind of playing against a opponent who only has Ash Blossom or Nibiru every now and then. <laughs> One thing to keep in note when you do Solitaire, uh, try to hold yourself accountable when you are doing your combos. So that was the one thing, like I was saying earlier, as I was not doing to the degree I should have been. Because had I done so and had I thought critically of it all, I'm sure I could have realized that Nibiru was as detrimental to me as I figured out it was with just the line of plays that I was doing. But yeah, that's something to definitely keep in mind and like figure out... Uh, Think about like the cards that you're most expected to see. Uh, most you're 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 gonna see most hand traps in a format. Um, so always keep those in mind, uh, especially now when the format's so early and so young. You're gonna see, you're gonna have to expect so much more, because everyone's trying to solve the format, right? And then, yeah, that's you kind of have to keep. You kind of have to just like keep those little things in mind and figure out like why is your deck, uh, the why is your deck going to solve the format blah 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 or something like that right, or you're going to be able to combat whatever it, you expect to see. So yeah, so I think that's about it for kind of playtesting alone. Um, the next type of playtesting is usually. Using simulators, uh, I guess we can even include something like playing in a local tournament into this. Uh, just because you're with playing on simulators or playing in a local tournament, uh, obviously with locals, your stakes are nowhere near as high as something like regionals or like OYCS, that kind of thing. So you can kind of consider it a good testing ground. Uh, you don't have the same. Uh, basically, cons like, um, I guess you can say consistency of playing with a play like uh with a group of friends or playtesting with a group of friends. Um, playtesting on simulators or on locals, like, you don't know what you're going to be playing against. It's almost always going to be random. You don't always know the level of competence your opponent has. Like, I'm sure we've all played against somebody on Dueling Book who's just been complete garbage doesn't know anything but then on the other hand play against like opponents who have a good knowledge of the game could potentially be somebody who is extremely competent tops like regionals tops YCSs stuff like that um, I think the one big advantage for testing on these simulators and, and local tournaments is it gives you a good idea of how your deck kind of will play out and stacks up you get that type of playtesting where you don't know what your opponent's going to do so you have to be able to react to uh, being hand trapped in weird times or having to deal with trap cards at weird times and potentially like losing a match and having it affect like your DB score or like your finish at a local tournament. Um, I know myself, I don't particularly like testing 
on Dueling Book or Edo Pro, stuff like that. I just don't really like playing online, to be fair. Uh, with, what is um, Edo Pro, like we were saying earlier, uh, one thing that's happened, like when Cody and I played on Edo Pro a couple times, uh, the chain links and when you can activate them or respond to them in some way shape or form or how they chain themselves edo pros lined up to be like is it europe <coughs> or japan Cody? uh ocg yeah so because the ocg line uh, the ocg chain links are actually different than how they like uh stack versus the tcg you don't get a full grasp of um, how things will play out entirely. So, the best method, like, as much as Dueling Book is just atrocious, uh, it helps more so with accountability as well as you do get the proper lines of play, so. Well, the thing with Dueling Book is it's more like actually playing a per like a person uh playing somebody in person than Edo Pro or YGO Pro is. Because with like Edo Pro everything's done automatically as opposed to dueling book where basically everything is done manually like it would be in an actual game. Yep. Um, like I said, I don't have a lot of experience playtesting online just because I prefer using physical cards. Um, do any of you guys have any experience with testing, like, online against randoms? Uh, before we even get to that, I think one thing that's not mentioned enough when people are testing with online simulators is dueling book is whatever, that's fine. Uh, remote duels are good, uh, but when you're using a program like YGO Pro or EDO Pro, whatever variant, that has, like, an automatic function to it, you get into a really bad habit of basically playing through your options that are presented to you as opposed to the ones that you present yourself. Like one big issue that people will fall into is they will play out their combo and they will see an interaction or see a line of play that they weren't going for. And it's presented to them because EDO Pro tells you, hey, this was a search target. And it's like, okay, oh, cool. Yeah, I'll do that. But that's really bad for testing if you're trying to get really good at like understanding you know critical choke points of your deck if you're just trying to learn the deck and you're trying to salt their hands eo pro is great because it tells you hey that effect you used you can actually do a b and c as opposed to just a and b but after you've gotten to a point where you should know your combo eo pro is really bad for kind of like hand holding and giving you a handicap that you won't have in normal dueling situations yeah. Mm. I have uh I, like I know early on when we were still having physical events, I did play test on YGO Pro quite a bit with Mermail. And I think that kind of led to the amount of success I had with the deck cuz I was able to play out against people and actually play out my combos properly and stuff like that but like cody was saying uh you can't always 
follow what you get out of these simulators, especially something like Video Play or YDO Play, because they are very hand holding and they do tell you exactly what you can do and when you can do it, uh, instead of making you think about those plays. Um, good example would be like uh, EDO Pro would kind of tell you uh, during the end phase you can trigger this effect, uh, this optional effect, and you go, oh yeah, I want to do that, right? Whereas like you do an actual like playtesting physical cards or you're an actual event, and if you forget that, you forget it. Like, that's that's just that you you kind of lose out and i know for me that's happened to me quite a bit throughout my career it just for like one specifically for me would be like a spellbook tower and forgetting to trigger that during end phase when i had a veiler in a graveyard so like this little stuff like that you kind of have to like again like i keep saying is keep yourself accountable so Oh, I know I've missed my, like, Skarm or GG searches yeah. a million times. Have you done anything online, Mark, or no? Uh, I generally don't like using online. Um, I'd rather have my testing in person. Or, yeah. um, obviously, right now, it's hard to do that. But, uh, yeah, nothing crucial for me about online. Especially when I just came back into the game as well. Yeah. And then Cody, I know a big. Know if you've done anything or not? No, all my. Um. It's gonna sound like fucking egotistical, egocentric, whatever. But I don't <laughs> like testing against players for the most part. I have a hard time kind of being in sync with the person I'm playing against, so they'll do things that... When I'm playing Yu-Gi-Oh! first of all, like, I'm sitting there, like, rifling off a million different variables in my head, trying to figure out, like, the best course of action, and when somebody does something that was just very obviously incorrect to me, but it's successful, it doesn't mean that what I did was wrong. It just ended up working out for them, and, like, shit like that kind of puts people into bad habits and I don't want to instill bad habits into myself by trying to play around inopportune or like just inferior gameplay. It's just like people will make misplays and if you're accustomed to that then you're going to start playing incorrectly to accommodate those <coughs> people making misplays. So it's like one of the things that I avoid doing is playing with random people as much as possible. Um, and if I'm playing against people in like a local circle, or people that I know of, I personally, even online, I'm playing against those people I know at a personal level. I tend to uh, be really hypercritical with all of their choices they made, and like I'll nitpick what they did more than actually play against them and lose to what they did. And like one thing that is that I, I do to Nick because Nick has been, you know, my main testing partner for the last year or so has yeah. been uh, he'll do something or he'll play a card and I'll get mad. And it's not because I'm salty. It's not because <laughs> I'm like mad at him or dislike him, but it's just objectively incorrect because I've ran that situation over in my head a hundred times and he wins because of some situation that comes up and I get mad. Because 
That's not what he should do, and he should lose in that situation against, on average, against everyone else. But it worked out against me, so I get upset that he did it. And then, like, I, I, try, I try to really drill that in, right? Like, I'm not salty I lost you. We're testing. It doesn't matter. I'm salty because you used this card incorrectly. It worked, and I'm getting mad because... Not because it worked, but because if you think this worked and it was good because you won because of it, that's not correct. You just won the situation. And, like, Nick can attest to you to the, the amount of times I've, like, gone off about him doing something that I thought was incorrect. And I'll kind of, like, start grilling him on as why, as opposed to, like, you know, anything else. Yeah, like, a big thing with me and Cody's testing, like he said, like, I go kind of rogue with some of my plays so cody it's like cody said it's a lot of time it's in his head a situation like that i did the wrong play but for me a lot of the time it's like it was me kind of like wanting to see what would happen because like that's a big thing for my way of play testing is there's obviously not a lot of stakes other than me learning my deck. I might as well, in these situations, try stupid things to see what would happen. A perfect example is, like, if you're ever playing against Invoked, which is going to be a very common matchup, where 9 out of 10 times, obviously there's variables that can kind of sway the decision-making, but most of the time, you never Ash Meltdown, right? That's just, you let the meltdown happen, you ash the Alistair, if you're even going to use the ash for that interaction. But if they're going first, and you're on the draw, you kind of have to use the ash on the Alistair, because they're going to just make the Mechaba, which then can blank the ash afterwards anyways. So you're kind of like stuck in a shitty situation where you have to ash part of the meltdown Alistair interactions. And you kind of have to ash the Alistair, because... They're playing three and three copies, right? Like, statistically, it's just incorrect to stop the meltdown. And Nick will just randomly, after, you know, playing 20-some-odd games, where he'll ash meltdown repeatedly. And it's like, I'm not drawing Gamma. Gamma's an auto-win if this happens. He plays around Gamma if he ashes Alistair. And half the time he ashes the meltdown, I have Alistair anyways. It's like, you're just, just stop doing that. That's not correct. And like even in a situation <laughs> where I don't draw another copy and I don't draw anything to punish him for it, like I didn't draw a gamma, I didn't draw a good normal summon to go with it, yada yada yada. He still is ashing meltdown, and that shit'll just set me off. So that's when I'll start <laughs> getting mad about it. It was it was a very weird summer of playtesting. I, I don't do that anymore. I I don't do that anymore. When I don't have another line of play to deal with an Alistair that happens to be a nap. See, like, there's... Obviously, I'm throwing Nick under the bus, but I'm just using that as an example of, like, what I mean. There's... Yeah. There's a pretty standard conclusion you can come to when you're talking about, like, certain cards that interact versus others. Obviously, it's not a black and white issue. You need to have some kind of critical thinking skills and understand that some variables will sway the decision-making, right? Like... Obviously, if it's turn three plus and you've seen so much of the invoked engine come into the circulation and you know they off their Alistair through a Mechaba negate the previous turn, yada, yada, yada. Like, if you think at that level, 
and you're kind of like micromanaging so many cards and effects and you're basically counting cards like you're playing fucking blackjack or something like me saying this doesn't matter you already kind of got it but there's a lot of people who don't think to that degree that need to start kind of like understanding that even if it worked doesn't mean it was correct and at the same time just because you did something and you lost playing that angle doesn't necessarily mean you're incorrect either right like there's a lot of times where uh my deck will have normal summon a normal summon b and i will play the normal summon a because the three other variables in my hand play into a better line with a or the a plays around ash which is a more common hand trap being main boarded than skullmeister whereas the b line beats skullmeister but loses to ash and then i play into the a line you know and then i get hit with skullmeister as opposed to ash and i lose because i didn't take the other line doesn't mean i was wrong it just means that you know that situation kind of went poorly for me even though statistically mathematically more ash is going to be hitting me than skullmeister game one stuff like that again if you're at the level where you're kind of processing all this information and this is all kind of like obvious to you then you kind of yeah you don't need to listen to me you already get it but yeah you got to kind of think to that degree if you're trying to play at your highest like potential yeah i guess that kind of leads into like the last form of playtesting which is playtesting with your uh with your Yu-Gi-Oh group like players that you know um that you test with often and yeah i would argue that this is obviously the best way to test um with larger groups of friends you have the chance to play against multiple different decks um multiple games against said decks um it gives you a chance to kind of structure how you're testing where you could be just taking turns going first going second um giving you opportunities to like make changes to your deck in between games just to test out different cards stuff like that um i know this is the form of testing that me and cody do the most often obviously with mark coming back uh i know he likes to play test in person too yes and um now that Jordan actually has internet, he gets the chance to play test like in person with quotation marks uh, through remote duels. Yep. Uh, he kind of cheats though. Fucking pulls his hand off the camera all the time. Yeah, I gotta fix like setup. Oh, filthy I cheater! Setup <laughs> and like make it so that it. I'm not doing that because I got that bugs me too when people do that. So I don't want to be the type to do that so yeah that straight 90 degree angle that every fucking Yu-Gi-Oh player loves for some reason is uh kind of tilting mm -hmm. uh slightly yeah uh actually uh our unofficial member of the squad curtis uh he sent me a message on facebook that reminded me of something actually pretty important uh Something that I love doing when I'm testing against players is uh, 
I kind of let them make the motions that they're going to go through. Like, let them come to their own conclusions of what they think is correct. And then, as soon as they've made and committed to their error, and, you know, it's basically, you can't recover from it anymore, I like to nitpick their decision-making that they had. Not necessarily tell them they're wrong, but kind of like, what led you from, you know, point A to point B for your turn? Because... And this is only if, from my perspective, you know, with the unknown variables they have in face downs and in hand and stuff, but still from my perspective, it was objectively just incorrect no matter what they did. Why did you make that choice? What conclusions did you come to from the public knowledge you had, right? And then usually we'll have a little sit down conversation. And the important takeaway from that is not necessarily being so hypercritical about everything and trying to, you know, tear your friend down or anything but more so actually have a discussion as opposed to like just blindly assuming that's just game right like have an actual like discussion and recognize what was the benefits of what happened and what was the takeaways from it so me and him i'll throw you an example okay me and him were doing some casual games we he's playing a dragoon based control deck and based off of the knowledge i had he had one negate but it's Dragoon, and if anyone's played against Dragoon knows, it can be just a bitch to deal with that card. So you still kind of have to jump through hoops to deal with it, even though it's only a single negate. That I kind of structured my follow-up turn, which was literally no cards in hand, drew into a card, activated Machina Overflow in Graveyard, drew another card, and then sequenced the following plays that no matter what he negated, not only did I beat him, but I killed him, right? So, like, I kind of went through the motions with him and after i won that turn i think we spent 20 minutes discussing my plays and every single choke point and what would have happened had he negated that card instead because i knew what the right time was to stop or what the right card was to stop but he obviously didn't not that he's supposed to but understanding those things will elevate your game knowledge and Yu-Gi-Oh, for the most part, is just a burden of knowledge. So it, it's good to not coach people through their misplays, as opposed to reflect on them and dissect what happened. I think that actually like highlights probably the most, uh, or like the best part about getting to play test against like your friends, is the discussion you can have when it comes to like solitaring you don't really have anybody to talk to yourself when you're playing on simulators or like maybe not as bad but like at a locals you don't really get that time to actually dissect a game go over all your plays go over like little things when you're playtesting with your friends like at the end of the game like depending on who won it's like cody said you get that chance to like dissect even just like one turn and go 20 minutes long on what would have happened like had a happened had b happened had c happened and just the amount of knowledge that you gain off of like these discussions during playtesting just helps so much with your overall game and make it so that when you're into those big tournament situations you now have that knowledge of like, okay, I'm playing against this deck that I've playtested against so many times and had so many discussions about. 
I know what to stop and what they could possibly have at this point, at this point, and at this point. So now I know where I can make the most opportune play based on the knowledge of like of this matchup. Yep. Uh, fuck, I was just going to talk about something, but I just lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> uh, one thing that I've kind of started to appreciate or acknowledge more often lately the difference between solitaring and, you know, testing against different people is obviously, you know, you just can't account for your opponent, what they would draw, you know, it's just nobody can. Uh, so yeah. you can kind of run through theoretical situations. Uh, everyone, before you even get to that point, should really have a good grasp of their own deck, right? Like, you should know your deck, almost be able to memorize it, recite it card for card off the top of your head, because too many people will play into lines that they just can't because they just don't know their own deck well enough um but what i'm getting at is when you're doing theory crafting right i'm playing this uh earth machine deck that i've been trying to refine for the last month or so and one of the big benefits of this deck is this recursion play it can play into for the turn one turn two and like the turn two sets up this you know like search and it's it's super cute and it's the play that you play into almost every time if your hand allows it. But what I found was there's like specific lines that are only available if you don't do that perfectly optimal play and you do one minor variation at the end. What this allows you to do is play through certain disruption on the following turn. And this wasn't like very obvious to me in theory crafting the deck. It was pretty like... It was just an option, but I've put a lot more value into it now that I've played matchups that this secondary sequence that's only 90% as strong as the first one, but now I can play through better setups because I'm starting to do this like minor variation. It's like stuff like that that's really important when you're playing against people and you learn stuff like that that you wouldn't otherwise. Getting back to like the um, playing with each other and like how um, like taking twenty minutes and uh, debating or not debating but like, talking about how your plays why you took line A to B to C instead of the other way around. I, you learn to appreciate other people's like knowledge. Like I'm. I'll give Cody like the benefit of like so many things and him making me a, a better player, Nikolai as well, Jordan. Um, I remember when I was, when I just started, I just like, just played just for fun. But when you get to the point where you play competitive, I feel like having other, you just need to understand sometimes it's people are just generally going to be really good because they have a different mind than you. And I appreciate being able to like learn from Cody, you guys, Nikolai and Jordan, and being able to nitpick your guys' minds. Cause sometimes I, I won't ha I don't, ha I definitely don't have the knowledge that you, Cody and Jordan and Nick, you guys are head judges. I'm just, and you guys know a lot way more than me. Um, but like being able to pick up on that kind of stuff really fast 
and that's I think that's when I evolved as a player is being able to just uh, listen to you guys. And I feel like some people uh, just don't take that to their advantage. I'm not saying I'm taking advantage of you guys, but like just learning from you guys off, just watching you guys, just learning, uh, seeing how you guys like think or like what, how you guys think. Um, Cause whenever I see like a hand and I'm just looking at it, I'm like, how in the world did you get to that? But then you explain to me and you're just like, this is why I did this. I think it's very beneficial to becoming a better player instead of just like, oh, I, I, I can do this, this, this. And then it's like, well, you did that, but why didn't you go a step further? And that's what I feel like doing uh, testing in person really benefits me in a way. It's like you guys, I, t I take what I have, but then I'm able to extend it because you guys have shown me another side of thinking, another route. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah man. Like, I think the most important thing about playtesting with other people is, or playtesting with your, like, friend group is that you need to be able to keep an open mind about what lines of plays were right, what lines of plays were wrong. Like, keeping an open mind about deck building, um, all that kind of stuff. It's, like, a big thing with Cody is like not to not to rag on Cody, but Cody generally thinks that he's right, and a lot of times he is. But the big thing with him is he's able to um, articulate and explain why his choices are arguably the best choice for like a play or for the build of a deck. And that level of discussion is very important because. I can be like, oh, well, this card's really good. But if I can't explain to my test partner why it's good, then it's more than likely not actually the right choice. Whereas Cody could probably explain every single card and every single ratio in his deck um, for two hours. And like just being able to discuss it means. I can learn why those choices are good and it'll give me a different perspective, which in my opinion is extremely important. Not even like, not just for Yu-Gi-Oh, but just for like in general, knowing the perspective of other people. I think uh, an important takeaway isn't like my like life philosophy is if you think something differently than me, then that means you think I'm wrong. So I want to know why. Uh, so Nikolai's not wrong. But uh, <laughs> I think the takeaway from that shouldn't be, you know, I have a big ego and I'm, I always think I'm right. It's more so, uh, why are you right? Like, explain why. And, you know, if you're not articulate enough, if you can't convey why something is or the intent behind something that's different right like if you don't have the skills to express it that doesn't necessarily mean you're wrong you just don't have like the skills to properly articulate why but that doesn't change the fact that you should know why right if i ask somebody 
again, this is a Yu-Gi-Oh podcast, not a fucking life skills thing. So we'll go back to Yu-Gi-Oh. If you're telling me why you prefer two of, of a card in your deck and I ask you why, I don't want to hear because I kind of want to draw it. That doesn't make sense. That's not an answer. Uh, if you're playing two of a card and it's like, well, it bricks. It's like, that's no, like how, why? Like that's not an answer, right? Like if you if you're playing two of a card and then you get into a reason that you know I'm playing these two playsets of this effect, and then on top of that, this two is a suboptimal but kind of applicable replacement, and I want to hit eight normal summons for this amount in my deck because it hits a certain percentage I'm comfortable with, and you start breaking down the numbers. I will not say you're wrong. Right, like maybe we can start debating the theory and the numbers behind it, but that's a whole different argument, right? Like we're getting into the why. And if you can kind of come up with a reason why something is the way it is, then sure. And I'll be the first person to admit when I'm wrong because I'll tell people right away because I still get it every other day. Somebody will message me I haven't talked to in a year on Facebook and they'll be like, hey, uh, you got a second help me out with a deck list? And I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem, what's up? And they'll shoot me a list, and it's like a deck I have no experience with. So I'll tell them that right away. I'm like, hey, just heads up, I don't know this deck. I don't know the perspective of somebody who plays this. So you might know more about this than me. But I know general deck building rules say that this card is really good. This shouldn't be a two of in your deck. And I'll start kind of debating things like that and if you can give me a reason why it's that too sure yeah you're right i'm wrong but you're gonna have to kind of convince me have fun with that <laughs> see these guys get these guys like give me shit <laughs> i'm not giving you shit i was no, I, don't, no, I don't give you that i but know for I, myself i have a hard time like you said like there are moments where I'll will be able to articulate why uh, this was the choice I made. This is the ratio I think is correct, and give give detail onto like how I came to that conclusion. But there are a lot of moments where I I just I don't have the capacity, and I don't know like what it's like for other people, but I get frustrated when I can't. And then I just, I don't know, it, it, it bums me out for the rest of the time being. But, like, that that capacity to be able to uh, explain why, uh, I don't think I've ever caught Cody in a situation where he hasn't been able to. And I think that's why we rag on him so much about it. It's because he can actually just explain his himself so well. But... Um, I know myself, and I'm sure a lot of other people. We we not don't have that same. Like, again, I'm gonna use a word here because I'm being redundant, but like just the same capacity to do so. Now, I mean, like I'm sure he can say times where he hasn't been able to, but I personally haven't seen that, and I, I think that's one of the reasons why I we like to give him a hard time about it. So. Oh, I have the social skills of a brick wall outside of Yu-Gi-Oh. So, like, uh, yeah. Get me outside my, uh, my, uh, comfort safe space. Spam a coffee. 
Or buy me a coffee. Yeah. He has rain, man. <laughs> you buy Cody a coffee and you're good. Easy. Yeah. Oh no, you buy you buy Cody a coffee and like he loves you forever. And if 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 you want to get in Cody's good side, you just buy him Filipino breakfast. That's yeah. that's a fucking cheat code. You're not supposed to. No, that's that's how you shit. get into his pants. That's how you get into his pants. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know what? Whatever. Fuck it. I still got Filipino breakfast. You're the one who's buying it for fucking whatever reason you want. I'm not the whore, you're a whore. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, so um, kind of like talking about discussing, like making sure you're discussing like your car choices and stuff. Um, that kind of leads into like good practices to have while play testing with your group of friends. Um. Like being open to like these forms of discussion and like being open to potentially you being wrong is extremely important when play testing. Uh, everyone wants to be able to play an optimal list of cards that are always going to win, but the thing is, your reasoning might not always be right or why you're doing something. So just being able to keep an open mind with other people's ideas at the end of the day will help you immensely with your like deck building, with how you play the game. I know, again, with like my testing with Cody, there's a lot of times we'll discuss like, oh, why aren't you playing this card? Oh, why aren't you playing like this card maxed out? And a good chunk of the times, like, I'll try to have my arguments ready for Cody, because, like, I know I'll need them, but what's important there is we're having the discussions so later down the line during testing when something starts going wrong with the ratios that I have, I can always reference back to, like, what we talked about before. It's like, oh, okay, cool, maybe Cody was right. Let's now start testing it with his ratios and see if that helps out a lot. Or helps out at all. And like a lot of the times it does. So again, not to beat a dead horse, but like making sure you're discussing with your teammates is probably like the best practice to have when playtesting. Yeah. I, I love it when I tell people, you know, a theory. And then two weeks later, they're like, hey, what do you think about this? It's like, ah. I swear I said that at some point yeah. recently. Like playing Beast of the Pharaoh. Yeah, that's that's uh. I need to figure out because the first person who breaks VW is gonna have such a huge advantage. I keep telling everyone this. I don't have the answer myself, but I know that there is something that is too good to be true, and there's gonna be like some fucking thing. There's some list that somebody's gonna just go undefeated, never drop a game with. And it's going to be some VW shenanigans. And maybe Beast of the Pharaoh is part of it, maybe not. But, like, I don't I'm know. Trying. I don't know. There's something, though. Uh, so, do you guys have any, like, kind of practices you do while playtesting that you think the viewers would be keen on knowing or um, should be doing when playtesting? Um, learning choke points 
uh, against certain matchups. So one thing you can obviously do is like you can ask your uh, who you're playing against, like the deck's certain choke points and stuff like that. But a better thing to do is to actually just play it out because you'll you'll ingrain it into your mind more if you try to think about exactly where that line of play is going and hit the like say like the hand trap choke point right if you have the if you can figure out that line of play and then hit it where you think is correct and then reflect on it afterwards right it's always better to reflect on uh those lines of play like say like you went to a to b to c and then at the c point you try to stop it um and that situation you might have stopped what they were trying to do uh so in that situation it could have been correct but then like we were saying earlier sometimes you make a stupid play and it works that doesn't mean it was right but knowing that you can like reflect on that afterwards and then learn that way right or sometimes you did hit the correct point you were supposed to hit like you did hit the right chokehold but then your opponent just happened to have like the extensions they needed to keep going right and that that happens it doesn't mean that you were wrong again but always try to reflect on the plays you do and try to think for yourself on where you need to hit those plays i know myself i'm awful for constantly berating questions uh but at the end of the day i have learned more thinking for myself than getting answers just given like handed to me right so i think one thing i want to speak on like Obviously, I made a big deal about, you know, doing the incorrect play. And just because something works doesn't necessarily mean it's correct. Uh, just to kind of swing back into that invoked situation. Again, Ash, Meltdown, Ash, Alistair. It's pretty obvious which one you should, just based off of, you know, how the dex functions. But uh, there's, like, other things you can do. Like, when I'm testing against Nick, sometimes I'll just hand trap a different thing just to see the dynamic of what happens to his combo hitting a suboptimal card just to see the lines that decks have to kind of play through like a perfect example is if you're playing against invoked right and they do the normal sequence and you have ash they make the mechaba they get back the alistair uh and then say they're playing dogmatic invoked which is probably the most common variant right now and they go nadir servant yeah and you ash the nadir servant now you kind of put them in an awkward spot because we're assuming right from the get-go they have the Alistair in hand and three potential other cards. If you Ash at that point, pretty much every card from then on, uh, you, you get a way better picture of like the field of cards you'll have. So you'll like, you Ash the Nadir, it'll almost always get negated, right? 99% of the time. But what are they going to pitch? Are they going to pitch the Alistair? If they have a hand trap in their hand, you're probably going to see the hand trap get pitched first because Alistair does double duty and being able to be a, a Kalut. So not only do you get knowledge of another monster in their hand that they pitch, but you know they have Alistair plus what they searched. So you're getting a lot of knowledge that way too. So again, you could just straight up argue 
it's just better to do one way or the other. But there's like, if you can get to this point in the argument with like rationalizing why there is some benefit to doing it a different way, then I could have a good conversation with you about Yu-Gi-Oh! But you need to kind of like look at it in that way. I just wanted to say that because I was stuck in my head. <laughs> Get it out there. Mm-hmm. That's good. I know I'm... one big practice that um, I'm super bad for not doing, and I know Cody is too, is uh, playtesting with your side deck involved. Uh, the big thing with like a lot of people will talk about is you're going to play more games in a tournament with your side deck than you're going to play unsided. Like, everyone plays a game one, and there's always going to be a game two. But there's always going to be... Uh, you're almost always going to play at least one game three in a tournament. It's kind of like that joke how if you have two arms... You actually have the above average amount of arms because there's people that have only one arm. Um, so yeah, you're going to be playing the majority of your game sided. I know me and Cody have a bad habit of not actually doing that, mostly because we're constantly changing our main decks and uh, side decking is kind of something you want to be doing once you have your kind of fully figured out. Um, but it is very important especially before a large tournament, to kind of get in some games with your deck sided, learning how to side deck against, uh, learning what you want to side deck against certain matchups, and how your side deck can actually affect how your main deck runs. Um, just because you might have some cards that clash a little bit, things like Droll and Lockbird, or like Lancia might prevent you from doing things, so you don't want to side those, stuff like that. Uh, do any of you guys have a comment about so, side deck. Well, so one thing I wanted to bring up and I was waiting for the side deck discussion is when you're solitaring, you don't really get a good grasp of the cards in your side deck that you need. Um like when you get to be able to actually physically play test against people you get that chance, you get that opportunity to play with your side deck, and it's, you learn so much more than you would solitary. Now, one thing I'm going to have to disagree with, Nick, is like, obviously, when you're building your main deck, and you're trying to figure out, like, the lines of play, um, you still want to kind of keep in mind what you think you're going to side deck, right? And I always try to make sure, like, I have an idea what my side deck is going to look like, just depending on what I think I'm going to see and try to keep that in mind when building my main deck or when trying to figure out the lines of play for my main deck. I know we brought it up when we were talking about side decking the other day and uh, increasing the size of your side deck by putting cards that you normally would side in your main deck anyway already. So, like, those are always some things to keep in mind. Um, your side deck is always more important than your main deck. Like, obviously, you're going to play your main deck and you learn your lines of play. But 
your side deck very much helps hit those uh, problem matchups you might have or just in general helps you take care of other matchups just more efficiently, right? So siding is very important and solitaring doesn't help you side. Um, being able to play test against actual people is much better for that. And I know myself, like I don't, I try to consider what I want to side and how I want to side versus matchups to like take that into account. But yeah, uh, when you are playtesting, try to make sure you're actually playing out matches, not just like game ones. Because uh, you are going to side deck certain cards against your opponent. But then your opponent might also side against cards not only just again to deal with what you do and especially like also determining like whether you're going first or second because those are like really crucial things but also expecting cards your opponent will play against you like what you will see uh a good example is a lot of people these days are uh if they're not mating they're called by the graves uh they're siding it because the hand traps that hurt them the most uh in main board can't really be hit by call by the grave but like the side the, the hand trap choices for siding can and those are just some things to keep in mind like side decking cards to uh deal with certain cards you expect to see in side deck like a good example another good example sorry is uh solemn judgment versus dark ruler and stuff like that so i think there's kind of like a middle ground between both your arguments uh i think without going into another 20 minute tangent about some shit uh because i love hearing myself talk uh <laughs> when you're building your deck just understand how many cards are engine cards like is your deck uh say again harken back to invoked i love beating that dead horse we've got one terraforming three meltdown three alistair and typically we got two invocation, sometimes three. Regardless, not gonna get into that. Uh, so that's what nine-ish cards. Um, so we know right from the get-go we got nine cards there. Uh, we got a whole dogmatic engine. You could say X amount of cards there. The important thing is you understand that you're playing, you know, 25 some odd cards, 30 maybe, that are your deck's actual strategy. Uh, one of the reasons why the Zodiac Eldritch deck is even somewhat relevant is because their engine is very small. They have 20, 25 cards at most. Uh, and they have a lot of room for random garbage. Uh, the point being is that random garbage, that variable, is what you're siding out, right? So... Again, I'm looking at my deck right now. I'm just shuffling through it. I'm seeing a lot of machines, a lot of spells that make my deck consistent. But I'm seeing Ash Blossoms, right? That card is something that can come out. I'm seeing uh, some Trap Cards, some uh, Forbidden Droplets. Stuff like that is the cards that are coming out because those aren't furthering my game state. And obviously there's some in-engine pieces that you take out to make your deck more resilient to common side cards, yada, yada, yada. Without getting too in-depth, understand what you're playing and what is coming out when you're siding. And do not overside 
which is like the biggest thing. Like when you're siding in 12 cards, I really hope it's because you're playing against some really weird deck you were not prepared for and your deck is just super, super bad into that weird line. It's like when you're playing against Mystic Mine and you're playing a fuck ton of anti-monster type cards. Yeah, obviously you're going to side out a lot just because you need to and you need to find live cards in your side deck. But for the most part, like you shouldn't be siding ever more than five or six cards. And a lot of my side deck right now is basically taking out hand traps and other forms of removal for just better suited hand traps and forms of removal. So when I'm building my deck and testing its neck, even though we rarely, if ever, do side deck, it's not that much of a hindrance to the overall game plan because I already know what I'm going to be siding. Like, that's already kind of an afterthought to me because I have dedicated spots in my deck for that slot. These are the weird variables that are not part of the main engine. So as long as you're building your deck and you understand the difference when you're playing through those theoretical situations and you're kind of building your main deck, you're not going to have to worry about, oh, how do I side? Because that should already be an afterthought. You should know what is the parts that can come out. And then once you've got that under control, then you can start looking at the in-engine part. Like I look at, hey, I'm playing a three of, of this card, but this is the card that people are going to be hating on and siding specifically to deal with this card. How do I, you know, either make my deck less reliant on that, or how do I, you know, answer that problem in a different way? I don't know. I can't say off the top of my head without really getting into the different aspects of it, but you see what I mean. If you've got nine spots in your deck total that are weird variables you can change at any given point, then don't worry about the other 31, unless it's like, like uh, a specific case-by-case -case basis. I think the big like importance of the more important part of the like playtesting with sided cards, maybe less um, knowing like what to side in and what to side out, and more of a like deciding what cards you want to side. Because like, like don't get me wrong, the theory behind like a lot of like obviously I'm gonna want to play. Uh, cycle reader against Tritron because I know for a fact of how powerful the card is. But I think it comes down into like certain matchups when let's say you only had like one or two blowout side cards for that matchup. Um, you want to test the other cards and your like potential other cards in your side deck that could be useful in said matchup. Like maybe you want to put in a galaxy cyclone against vw but you're not 100 percent sure if that card will be impactful enough like the idea behind it's very good but in practice you don't know if it's going to be as powerful as you want it to be and worth signing in so i kind of think that's where playtesting with the side deck would be at its most beneficial yeah i have a side deck choice i am in theory seems very sound and i want to test it out to see how well it works um just because it in conjunction with another card i side can theoretically just block my opponent so 
there. Don't everyone talk all at once. Um, <laughs> there goes the tumbleweed right there. Yeah. Crickets are chirping. Yeah, there's. It's kind of hard to do a whole episode on playtesting because it's more so just to. Once you emphasize how important it is, and I think the big takeaway I want people to have, at least, you know, from my rants is just understanding why understanding why you're doing things, why your opponent's doing things because of what you're doing, and why you're doing mm -hmm. things because of what your opponent's doing. Like once you kinda you know, check off all those, then you're you're gonna be pretty good. You'll notice how different people are and how quickly they will deviate to a different line and how it just doesn't make any sense to you. But understanding why they came to that conclusion will help you both. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know one thing you wanted to talk about, Cole, you mentioned it in the last podcast, was uh, not getting into bad habits when playtesting. Oh, yeah, okay. So, thank you for reminding me. Um, one of the biggest issues I see happen all the time, and uh, one it used to happen to me a lot, and it still does with me and Nick a lot, is... I absolutely despise when people start catering their main deck and side deck, but more so main deck, to the exact deck that they end are they're playing against, uh, in like a small testing circle. If you're testing with like five plus people, you'll get a better variety of things that should work. But here's a good example: for a long time, Nikolai was fucking main deck and Ghost Ogre when it was just objectively one of the worst hand traps. And Ghost Ogre just <laughs> happened to be so fucking live against every deck I played. I.e., I was playing Generators, right? Because, yeah, that was such a meta-fucking deck. Um, <laughs> Nikolai was main and Ghost Ogre and Cosmic Cyclones and, like, everything when... Uh, I don't remember what the best deck was at this point, but n Dragon, neither... Yeah, like, you could argue Cosmic Cyclone was good, you could argue Ghost Ogre was good, like, there is merit to that, but, like, nobody's siding Ghost Ogre for Dragonlike, and nobody's siding Cosmic Cyclones for Dragonlike, so I don't want to hear that shit. Um, yeah, he was maining both of those, because you know what beats fucking Boss Age? Both of those cards. So, what will happen is, when you're testing against predominantly one person, you're obviously going to want to make your chances to win better you're going to improve your deck don't fall into this trap where in the process of making your deck better you're also neglecting like the fact that Yu-Gi-Oh is such a broad game with so many different viable decks that you're starting to just not necessarily make your deck better but i'm making my deck better against the guy i'm testing against not just better you see there's a big fundamental difference um, a perfect example is right now, my big hiccup is I'm trying to find game one main deck, better situations to deal with, uh, uh, Dragoon and Mechaba and Wind Barrier statues. The main issue is that that's pretty much only what I'm testing against when I'm testing or when I'm playing in a tournament and I'm playing against like Dragon Link and shit. 
my main deck's not going to be well suited for that because I'm building my deck to beat my testing circle, and that's not correct. So don't fall into this habit of playing against Dragon Link and being like, holy shit, I need to play three Imperm to deal with their, you know, whatever, when, you know, Imperm is just bad against everything else. Uh, yeah, that's the main thing. So don't fall into those habits. Yeah, like, I know with me right now, I feel like I've broken out of that habit, thankfully. Cody out here making me sound like a terrible player. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm stating facts. I'm spitting <laughs> fucking, like, real truths, all right? You're, you can I come have, off any certain way, but you're gonna lie to, you're gonna lie to our fucking ogres, faithful sir. viewers and say you sir. weren't fucking maining Cosmic Cyclones and Ghost Ogres when they were both bad because I was playing fucking Generators. Sir, I had my arguments for Ghost Ogre, and I thought I was right. Yeah, I because Cody's playing points. Generator. <laughs> Don't give me that shit. <laughs> Anyways, um... This motherfucker, yeah, the see he's fucking laughing, but I'm siding non-fusion area, so go fuck yourself. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so much hate. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> um, is it warning point objectively better at that point? What? Oh, I'm gonna warning point Cody now. No, non-fusion area is the tits. Gonna, oh, fun fact, if you didn't pick Hawaii. up your fucking... Okay, remember like a month ago when I said fucking pick up non-fusion areas? Because at some point it'll yeah. be good? Yeah. Fucking bingo. Go buy them. <laughs> Actually, what's Fusion got? Is there... Fuck. I'll be right back. Oh, my guarantee it would be. Um, anyways. Like I was saying, I kind of broke out of the habit of um, catering my deck to who I was playtesting against. Uh, I think there was a span of three or four months where my only testing partner was Cody. Just because, you know, COVID and all that shit. Uh, but yeah, I've definitely broken out of that habit now, so my deck is built more generalized, so I don't outright lose to certain matchups, and I kind of have a very, like, clean matchup across the board, where I'm not playing anything, like, super specialized against specific decks. Uh, I think the big thing with that, though, is in playtesting that can lead into the habit of, like, you might lose to certain rogue strategies a lot. Um, like, I'd argue right now that my Shadal Invoke deck would have a hard time against, like, a Mystic Mind Burn or um, some kind of weird Inspector Board or Stun deck because my deck's obviously not catered towards those. So if I was playtesting against them a lot and losing, let's say... 70 to 80 percent of my game ones i can't really let that dissuade my deck building choices while playtesting purely for the fact that i don't know if i'd ever see those matchups a whole lot and if i do in a tournament that's what the side deck ends up being for um so i think you have to keep that mindset of there's a good chance you're going to lose a lot of matches while playtesting. But you can't really let that discourage you um, just because like you might have a bad matchup against some type of rogue deck that you're testing against because that's what your friend's playing. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah, I did you find non fusion area? Yeah, you know, fusion's got a couple. Um, no, uh, I what? I'm I really kind of want to play. Uh, I'm just getting into like the side deck theory as the meta develops. It's like really interesting to go back onto that topic because the ban list did actually change up quite a bit. Uh, mm. I, I'm trying really hard to convince myself that main deck and cosmic cyclone isn't the play right now. Oh, it's interesting. Like, are like to di- uh, to divert a little bit. Like, arguably speaking, cosmic cyclone hits a huge chunk of matchups right now. Mm-hmm. Like against dolls, you're going to be hitting their like schism. Against Eldritch, you're obviously hitting like everything. Even dinosaurs, like you can get rid of Lost World, so like it's not completely dead. I'm so worried that Ryan used Dinosaur List from the most recent uh, LCS doesn't become the standard because he actually oh, built his the, deck correctly the... and his deck is so fucking good that if every Dino Scum player just net decks Ryan Yu, they're going to get so many undeserved free wins because he actually built such an incredibly good deck. Oh, that deck is scary as shit. Yeah. My second one? Yeah. I'm so scared of that deck. It's such a good deck and it's like obvious but like there's so many little nuances to the ratios like i looked at his dinosaur deck list and i was like just in awe of all these different like little things about it and it's i don't know i was just geeking out over it like he wasn't playing giant rex and he wasn't playing like and fuck i don't know i was just kind of going over it a lot and i was like there's a lot of people who are going to play this deck list and are going to win games but not understand why some things are the way they are, but that's not going to change the fact they're still going to win. And I'm going to lose that fucking dinosaur deck list, because that's a bad <laughs> matchup. <sighs> yeah. So, do any of you guys have anything else you want to add uh, regarding playtesting? I was just going to say coffee is life. Yeah, I could use True. a fucking coffee right now so bad. Yeah, I'm kind of dying right now. I need a coffee so bad right now. Um, I caught myself dozing off like half a dozen times already. Wow, it's fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> what the? That's uh, like that's my job. Yeah, I don't know what's going on, man. Like apparently, I'm just drained. As for playtesting, though, I think we've gone over pretty much everything. Like, kind of like. You can do a TLDR of playout matches. Uh, don't get into bad habits, such as um, altering your line of play, or like doing takebacks, or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Gosh, the now I'm brain farting without the coffee too. Uh, catering, there we go. Catering your deck to like a specific matchup because that's all you play test against, stuff like that, right? Oh, and yeah, I always try to reflect on the the matches you have and figure out like if your line of play was correct and stuff like that. So, oh yeah, there's actually one other small point I want to bring that I kind of forgot about until right now. Um, uh, fuck, how do I articulate this? Uh, 
I think one thing that a lot of people don't do, and I think we're all kind of suspect for it, is uh, not really playing other strategies outside of the deck you want to test. Um, this is something you can, like, it's more of something to do kind of, like, in spare time as playtesting. This works more for, like, simulators or stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> a good way to learn other decks through playtesting is actually going out to play them. Because, uh, like, a lot of the time you get stuck in rut where you're only playing the deck you're taking to tournaments yada 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 so like i like me for example i know my shadal invoke deck inside and out like i can play that deck with my brain off at this point but the thing is i entered a big tournament and i lost a bird up and i do not know that match whatsoever mind you i could have probably picked jordan's brain about it because he obviously knows a lot about the deck right now through all of his theory uh, Amen, something I could have done too after last night so true um, but yeah so one thing I could have done to mitigate this uh, I couldn't really play test it against against it with my friend group because nobody owns it what I easily could have done though was hopped on to DB or my Geo Pro built the deck and spent a couple hours actually playing the deck, learning its lines of plays and like figuring out what the weakest points of the combos were. And unfortunately, since I didn't do that, I ended up losing because I ashed the wrong. So that's just something um, to think about with playtesting. Um, just, going outside of your comfort zone playing other decks to get a good feel for like what's meta um learn their lines of combos and yeah it's like it's one of those like knowing thine enemy things the better you know what you're going to play against the better off you're going to end up being yeah that's why i'm always playing rogue shit mm -hmm. <laughs> I think this is the first time in a long time I'm actually playing something that's meta relevant. So we're so proud of you. Thanks. You've grown up. <laughs> yeah, you're the oldest. Yeah, I was gonna say next to Curtis, I'm the oldest. So, and he's only older by like two weeks. Still no longer has cavities. Now he will play with little lolly birds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And even then, I'm still trying to figure out if the lowly birds are the correct way to go after changing up the lines of play. But we'll see. I saw a random OCG deck list that popped up for Tribrigid, and it was literally the deck list I was telling you about from before. <laughs> this one? It, no, it's. Remember, I told you, like, people aren't playing Tribrigid correctly. You should just play, yeah. like, three of everything. Just yeah. get one good tri brigade free summon and play that yeah. trap that lets you cheat out everything okay yeah yeah the deck list was literally that it was literally just three of every tri brigade card and like 15 hand traps and he cool. got first in whatever ocg tournament it was this deck but isn't viable had... until we get the next link too 
But I was gonna say that the link two is like critical map that point there, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it still played like everything else that we play. Like it still had like barrier statue plays and stuff, or no? I don't even know. I'm assuming it does, cause like, why let people have fun? But yeah, I don't. Know. Yeah. I mean, why they still you have players don't get to have fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I don't know if you guys had anything else to uh, cover. No, I think that'll be a good place to wrap it up for this episode. Do we have anything lined up for next weekend or no? Uh, I was trying to think of that the entire time because I forgot to actually plan out the next episode. Test, test, uh, test. Here we go. I'm the only one here with a full-time job other than Mark, who just joined. So I'm busy a lot. And we have children. Yeah, but I'm also at home. Like, you guys get to be at home. I don't. With kids. You're going to really sit there. And be like, I should get paid $100,000 because I'm a full-time parent. No. No, no, no. I'm not going on about stuff like that. Why? I'm just anyways, trying to argue. Anyways, regardless. I fucking love it. I As a resident stay-at-home father, the... the fucking self-righteous attitude some stay-at-home parents have about their fucking their responsibilities. Like, yeah, you had kids. You have to take care of them. Mm-hmm. So not you're not doing them a fucking favor. <laughs> no, 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 that's okay. Like, I understand that argument. That's not what, the, what I was trying to come off with. I'm trying to more state the fact that, like, he ha- does have a I'm just saying, you guys, you guys get, get nap time. I have to deal with irate customers all day. I realize that children can be very irate, but you guys get a moment. I don't. <laughs> yeah, but you get your moment when you get home, though. You get to call a manager. Yeah, you know who my home. manager is? A two-year-old. True. <laughs> I thought you were <laughs> Okay, regardless. Um, so next episode, uh, now at the inclusion of Mark, we have four judges in this podcast. So I was thinking that we should have an episode just about all of our experiences as judges um, and kind of just a big judge-centric episode. Oh, I, I get to talk shit about Fargo judges. I, I hold a grudge for a yes. real long time. It was oh, fucking nine cool, years ago. Cool. I'll still never forget. We'll have a lot to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I guess that'll lead into our question of the week. What was the worst judge um, call you ever got? Yeah. Worst judge experience. There you go. That's actually a great question. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you want to answer that question or um, if you want to ask us a question or leave us any comments, you can follow us on any of our social media. We're at WPGFTK. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, your best best probably Instagram. That's the one we're most active on. Um. And yeah, thanks guys for listening. Uh, We're the first turn, and we'll see you later. Bye, Brett. Bye, Bye, Brett. Brett.